Welcome to Dynasty Coast to Coast. I'm your co-host and four-time Dynasty champion, Austin Reich. You can find me on Twitter at Dynasty Austy. I am joined today by my co-host, Cam Welch, who you can find on Twitter at Dynasty Cam. This is a new fantasy football podcast to dive more in depth into the increasingly popular format of Dynasty, encourage debate, bash each other when need be, and get you, yes you, the people involved. We're here to help you beat your biggest rivals, like I always do with Cam. Cam, welcome in. Wow, dropping the hammer already. Well, as Austin mentioned, my name is Cam Welch. I'm a seven-year Dynasty veteran, and yes, Austin may be my biggest rival, but we are putting our fantasy football minds together to help you grow and maintain an elite status in your Dynasty League. We went with the name Dynasty Coast to Coast because I live in Massachusetts and Austin lives in Arizona. We feel the name has a double meaning because we want to help you all. We want to help everybody from far and wide dominate your leagues. As Austin said, We want to get you, the people involved. We are looking to be more interactive than any other fantasy football podcast out there. We will answer your dynasty questions, whether it's trades, waivers, you name it. We want to get your voice on the air. Stay tuned if you would like to test your skills against us in a highly competitive listener league in the near future. In this episode, we will be holding a 12-team standard rookie mock draft, just the first round, and it will be alternating picks, Austin will lead it off with pick 101, and for rounds two and three, we'll be revisiting those in a future episode. All right, Austin, what do you got for us at pick 101? Thank you, Cam. With the first pick in the Dynasty Coast to Coast rookie mock draft, I will select Jonathan Taylor, running back from Wisconsin, drafted in the second round by the Indianapolis Colts. And Cam, I cannot say enough about Jonathan Taylor. He is the second best running back prospect of the last decade behind only Saquon Barkley. This man ran a 4.39 40-yard dash at 226 pounds. For those of you out here that do not know what speed score is, that is a 99th percentile weight-adjusted speed score. And one of the craziest stats that I found when researching Jonathan Taylor was the fact that he accounted for 42% of Wisconsin's total offense during his career, which is just insane. And Jonathan Taylor is the only player to ever start his career with three straight 2,000-yard seasons. He's number six on the all-time college rushing leaders and the only one in the top 15 to have only played three seasons. In other words, he would have smashed the record had he stayed for his senior season, but instead, I get him at 101 to dominate the league. Well, there's not much uh, bad things to say about him. Uh, The only thing, and I love me some Jonathan Taylor, is that maybe he saw the ball a little bit too much in college like I would prefer him to be more fresh like I love all the stats I love I love that he's number six on the all-time rushing list he only played three years so that's good but the amount of times he saw the ball 
maybe made those treads on the tires a little bit worn out, but I think that's the only negative thing I can say about them, to be honest. It's, there's not many bad things I can say. Yeah, and honestly, he landed in the perfect situation. He gets to run behind Quentin Nelson and the best offensive line in the league in Indianapolis, and the haters will say that he can't catch the ball, but Jonathan Taylor actually accounted for 10% of Wisconsin's college target share and scored on five receiving touchdowns last year, so I don't know. I think he's a slam dunk 101, but Cam, who you got at 102? All right, at 102, I'm already going to make a little bit of little bit of headlines, but I'm going to go with DeAndre Swift at 102. I know. What? I know it's crazy. DeAndre Swift was my second favorite running back before the draft, and I think his landing spot in Detroit, a lot of people think it's a little shaky, but for Dynasty, I think it's perfect. I think he is exactly what Detroit wants to do with that running back position. And with the draft capital and with with the weapons that Detroit already has, I think he's a perfect fit. Uh, saw the field when Sony Michelle and Nick Chubb were there um, at Georgia, which is, by the way, a running back producing machine. They are just a factory for producing running backs. Uh, I think he put up big numbers. While also, it's the fresh legs thing again. They kept him relatively fresh. Uh, I know it's just because Georgia always has good running backs, but still, it still is a pretty big factor, and you you might get more uh, years out of him. And I think, honestly, I just think he just fits that Detroit offense well. Like, he'll be able to catch the ball out of the backfield. He's He's just so dynamic at that, and... Yeah, I mean, I'm excited for him. I'm excited to see him. I have him higher than a lot of other people. I know, Austin, you're probably going to rip me a new one, but. Yeah, DeAndre Swift is a guy that I wanted to love looking at his metrics, but was continually disappointed the more that I watched of him. He he has the good speed, the great cuts, makes the flashy plays. Oh, he does. But he doesn't make enough of the routine plays often enough for me to truly see an elite upside to be an every down workhorse in the NFL. I mean, he wasn't even an every down back at Georgia in college. So I just don't see it in Detroit. I don't necessarily love the landing spot, but assuming rational coaching, I do agree. Swift will excel in the passing game and will likely be the better half of a backfield with carry on Johnson. See, you can agree with me on some things. You're still now, wrong, though. <laughs> give us give us your 103. Let's move on. Stop roasting me. Well, first of all, I would like to thank you on behalf of my Dynasty team for making the wrong selection at 102 because I am taking Clyde Edwards-Hilaire at 1.03. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was the only running back taken in the first round of the NFL draft by the Kansas City Chiefs. And let me just tell you, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire may just be the luckiest player of all time. I mean, the man hit the lottery twice. Yeah, he did. (laughs) He played in the most prolific college offense of all time with Joe Burrow and LSU, and now he gets drafted in the first round and gets to play with Patrick Mahomes. It's time to hit the casino for him, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. So as opposed to DeAndre Swift, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was someone that just continued to impress me 
by making plays on tape. I mean, every time that I would doubt him, he'd catch a pass on third and long, break a tackle, and pick up a first down. He'd pick up a key block to set up Joe Burrow to throw a long touchdown to Jamar Chase or Justin Jefferson, who we'll talk about later. He's just the epitome of a great football player that's going to do whatever it takes to win. I mean, he had 55 catches last year, which is how many DeAndre Swift had in the last two seasons combined. And you know what? When Joe Burrow was asked who the most talented player was on LSU's offense, what was his answer? Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I rest my case, Your Honor. (laughs) It's not that I don't like Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. It's that I like the other running backs in front of him. I think Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is a good football player. I think he certainly has lucked out with his landing spot, and he had one good season last year, and it just so happened it was with the most prolific offense in college history. His workout metrics are below par. They're, they're pretty unimpressive. You do have to admit that. They're, they're pretty unimpressive. We were kind of hoping for more from him. Yep. With, I mean, him being with Patrick Mahomes, yes, that gives him a boost. Damian Williams, even though he's Damian Williams, he will cut into those first-year carries. I'm sure of it. They still love themselves some Damian Williams. I just think – I feel like he might not – he he may have been Kansas City's number one running back choice and he was the first running back taken in the draft at pick uh 132 but don't you think that that has to do with a little bit more of the fifth year option like late round running back getting that extra year of a cheap running back and I, i don't know i i like him i like him a lot i just prefer other guys in front of him and him only producing that one season is is kind of scary for me, but of course he goes to Kansas City and and he probably will put up some some numbers there just because they're Kansas City and they have Patrick Mahomes and that's all that matters. And for me, for me that that fifth round option is even more of why this pick makes sense and why why you could pick Clyde Orders Hilaire here is that you know he's locked in to five years, tethered to Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City, and you know what. You just let me hit the lottery twice with Jonathan Taylor and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. So let's see how you can follow that up at 1.04. Can I just add that recording this episode a few days after Patrick Mahomes getting all the money in the freaking world, 10-year, like what, $500 million almost? $400 Was it $500 million? It's crazy. I believe so. That's crazy. And and Clyde being tied to him, yes. That's good for Clyde, for sure. So at 104, I've got myself a little J.K. Dobbins action. I love me some J.K. Dobbins. I wanted him. I, I feel like I, I, his landing spot is perfect. Give me the running back next to Lamar Jackson, who essentially in this is in the same boat, if not in a better running back situation than Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who this team's just going to run the ball 
down your throat, and he's going to get the ball a ton. Mark Ingram's going to be gone after this year. It's just going to be J.K. Dobbins and Lamar Jackson in the backfield. And J.K. Dobbins is just so prolific. I I have him rated higher than Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, which, again, is crazy. Clyde is my fourth running back. But these running backs are all solid. You can't go wrong with any of them, honestly. Like, I, I, I just love me some J.K. Dobbins. I, I think he put up huge numbers at Ohio State. The They gave him the ball a ton, just like Lamar, or, uh, just like Jonathan Taylor. And just if he put up a decent profile, a decent athletic profile, I feel like we'd be having him in the conversation for the number one overall pick in dynasty definitely number two overall in dynasty yeah cam i can't i can't fault you there um piling on i love jk dobbins and his fit with the ravens i have him at number three in my rankings so it pains me to see you get him at 104 but he was a prolific producer in college he had at least a thousand yards rushing and over 20 receptions each year at Ohio State, but there definitely are some concerns. Like you said, we don't have an athletic profile, but as a as a high school senior, he did run a 4.45.40 at the Nike Combine. So I know we have some requisite athleticism there, but my biggest concern with J.K. Dobbins is that I feel like his ceiling is capped by Lamar Jackson, his rushing prowess, and his reluctance to check down to running backs because why why are you going to check down when you can run the ball and pick up as many yards as he can so while Dobbins will I mean there's no doubt he's going to be efficient in the run game it's going to take his rushing yards touchdowns and receiving production away being in the same backfield as Lamar Jackson yeah no I could definitely see that I just feel like the opportunity is there for him and he He's he's such a prolific player. He's going to like he is a prototypical NFL running back. Just watching him, you know he's going to be a stud and it's going to be really exciting. I mean, we got four freaking stud running backs and I think you have what do you have? One more coming up at 105? Oh yeah, I got one more coming at 105. We have Cam Akers, running back from Florida State, oh, yeah. second round pick by the LA Rams, and Cam Akers is just a baller. He was the lone bright spot in a in abysmal Florida State team last year. Horrible. Um, he he accounted for forty percent of Florida State's offensive production over the course of his career, which is crazy. And he just has a stud athletic profile. I mean. Ran a four four seven. He has the size. He has the speed. And the craziest thing about Cam Akers is that Florida State only opened up. Here's a stat for you: point five seven yards blocked per carry was the lowest of any team in the Power Five conferences in college football. Oh God! So, oh Lord! Just to put this into perspective, with one of your favorite guys, Cam Akers was hit behind the line of scrimmage on 30% of his carries compared to DeAndre Swift behind Georgia's line was only hit behind the line on 9% of his carries. So 
over Jeez. three times as many times was Akers hit in the backfield. And despite this, Cam Akers had averaged 8.2 yards per rush on outside carries last season, which led every running back in this entire class. So Cam Akers is a workhorse. He's a three-down back, and I think that he actually has the easiest path to immediate production of any rookie running back. I mean, we both know Darrell Henderson is a bust, and the fact that the Rams didn't even have a first-round pick and their first selection of the draft was Cam Akers, I think says everything that you need to know. So Akers is number four in my rankings, and I'm more than happy to get him here at 105. I can't fault you for that one. I love me some Cam Akers. I have him at 105, my RB5. And the only thing that scares me is, don't you think he could just be like the Rashad Penny of this draft? Like a super athlete that just... it. For Penny, he still has a chance, but it hasn't panned out. And I feel like of the five guys, he would be that that risk. Ri- he has that risk factor, the same the same risk factor, like a big stat patter uh, for a bad team that that Penny had. Um, I think L.A. Yes, they definitely needed a running back because there's absolute garbage there behind him and he definitely could be a three down back I just feel like him going from one bad college team to an NFL a bad O-line in the NFL could hurt him yeah there's there's no doubt that that's a concern but I still feel that while the Rams had a down year offensively last year that they are still a prolific offense that are going to matriculate the ball downfield and is going to set up opportunities for Cam Akers as the potential three-down back in L.A. So I think there's no doubt that you have to take Cam Akers here at 105, get your running back, and move on. Yeah, and can I add that in Dynasty, just take the running back. If If you're between a wide receiver and a running back, as you'll learn later, we'll talk about it later, that taking the running back, a young running back that you know has a chance to be a stud, makes way more sense than taking a wide receiver. You can always get wide receivers later. You can always trade for them. There's so many wide receivers out there. You need to take the prolific running backs or the chance at the prolific running backs. Couldn't have said it any better myself. (laughs) So at 106... I am taking my favorite wide receiver in the draft of this year. I'm going C.D. Lamb. He was drafted by Dallas. He had a 96th percentile yards per reception, which was ultimately 21 yards per reception, which is ridiculous. He had an age 19 breakout, which for wide receivers is big. If he, he just He's going to dominate. I'm not afraid of Michael Gallup. I think Michael Gallup is... I think you saw his ceiling last year. Amari Cooper's there, but I think they can coexist. We've seen this a lot in the NFL of wide receivers coexisting with each other and with Adam, C- Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs and with the Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley's, the... 
there's always you can have a duo you can you can have those two prolific guys the nfl has changed completely i don't know i'm excited for him i know you're probably uh you're probably a little bit upset because i didn't take your uh your guy number one but let's what do you have to say about cd look cd lamb is going to be great he's the number two ranked wide receiver that i have ever evaluated since i started evaluating prospects five years ago Spoiler alert, he's not number one. (laughs) But CD is wiry, and while he's just an average athlete metrics-wise, he makes up for it with like a very smooth, fluid style of play. And I think Dallas was a sneaky good landing spot. Um, Will he have a relatively difficult path to production? Yes. To begin with, I agree. You can't... Yeah, to begin, to begin. Uh, Cooper, obviously, is there. Gallup, I think you may be underrating a little bit, but regardless, he's there. And I, you know, I'm concerned about the fact that CD was just compiling stats in a defenseless Big 12. And, you know, adding on to that, he played with arguably the best trio of quarterback prospects of any wide receiver class that I can remember. He had... First pick, Baker Mayfield. First pick, Kyler Murray. And another highly drafted quarterback in Jalen Hurts this past year. So, But I'm not even going to let you talk about him again because my biggest concern of all is that you took the wrong guy at 106 because I'm about to absolutely dunk on you by getting the best wide receiver in this class at 1.07. Give me the next Antonio Brown his name Ooh, is Jerry Judy. That's a big statement, bro. The number one wide receiver that I have ever evaluated and the most polished route runner to come into the league in recent history. Denver's first round pick, Jerry Judy. He just checks all the boxes that I look for in a wide receiver. He dominated from a young age at Alabama as a 19-year-old breakout the year he just happened to win the 2018 Bolitnikoff Award for the best wide receiver in the country. Jerry Judy, 6'1", 193, 4'4", 40-yard dash at the Combine. You know, great size, great athleticism. And anytime you watch him, he continued to shred corners in the SEC and produce despite being on what I would say is the most talented wide receiver core in the nation with another first-round pick in Henry Ruggs that we'll talk about, and upcoming first-rounders next year in Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddell. So some people might be concerned with the landing spot in Denver, but I will pound the table time and time again, draft the talent, draft the good players, and know that quarterbacks, especially bad quarterbacks like Drew Locke, love to throw to guys that are open all the time. So give me Jerry Judy all day. I think another statement, because I, I do love me some Jerry Judy. I think another thing that could be said, too, about Denver's situation is Drew Locke won't be there forever. They will draft another quarterback later on, whether it's next year or the year after, and Jerry Judy will still be there, and he'll be developing, and he'll grow with a young quarterback, and he probably will be prolific. I just feel like I have... Two wide receivers rated above him, and 
I feel like Jerry Judy just is just one of those wide receivers that gets the Alabama inflation. I feel like he's a good player. I feel like Cortland Sutton is a really good player, and I feel like he can be the Robin for Jerry or for Cortland Sutton's Batman. But I have a lazy comp for you, and I know you're going to roll your eyes, and if people could see your eyes, they would just roll to the back of your head. But I feel like a lazy comp for Jerry Judy is Calvin Ridley. He is a better... I'm not comparing him directly to Calvin Ridley. I think he's better than Calvin Ridley. I'm not a Calvin Ridley fan whatsoever. But I feel like Jerry Judy, he's that same type of receiver. He's relatively... He's relatively small. Like, he's not that size that you're looking for. And I just feel like the metrics weren't there. And I know there was an issue um, with the with the agility score um, metrics and then the agility score test or the agility test that they had at the um, at the combine. And what was it? Players were like players protested it or something because they thought something was wrong. Or what, what was it again? If you want to explain it. Yeah, the the early testing wide receivers that everybody, the players included, expected to test very well at the Combine, all tested extremely poorly on the agility drills. And after about the first few players, the first few wide receivers doing the agility drills, the remainder of that day's group decided to opt out. Which is pretty interesting, like that, and that that pretty much affects every wide receiver in this whole thing. So you're not getting like, you're not going to be getting the right numbers most likely. But I, don't get me wrong, I think Jerry Judy's good. He put up huge numbers at Alabama. He had Tua. Tua is a great prospect. Drew Locke, yes, bad quarterbacks like the open receiver. Drew Locke is that bad where he probably won't succeed as much as you would hope for in a in a in as a as a highly touted first round wide receiver yeah and as as much as i love jerry judy if you're looking for immediate production the first year he may not be your guy yeah but jerry judy is going to be great and jerry judy is the wide receiver to own in dynasty in denver all right, so I'm up next, and I'm going to tell you the guy that will probably produce in year one, and that's my wide receiver two, Denzel Mims. I have Mims at wide receiver two. This man is a beast. He is the size you're looking for. He put up the that alpha type profile. He has the alpha type metrics. He had an 85th percentile college dominator rating. He dominated at Baylor minus his junior year where there were rumors that he had a broken hand and and people were worried about the drops and everything. And he came back his senior year and put on a show. He is a spectacular catch artist on the sideline. I've, I've honestly never seen a player as dominant on literally on the sidelines as he was and I know people are scared of those Baylor wide receivers I've been burned by them before but you shouldn't be that shouldn't stop you from drafting just somebody so prolific somebody walking into the perfect situation in in New York where he can grow with Sam Darnold 
and Adam Gase won't be there forever. You just got to forget about Adam Gase and just take Denzel Mims for the prospect that he is. And I feel like if you're looking for an alpha type receiver, that is the alpha type receiver. And that's why I would essentially reach on him over some of the other guys. Yeah. And I do really like Denzel Mims best comparable to our guy, Chris Godwin. Oh, the God. Which we love. Oh. But you must just have a thing for Baylor wide receivers because this is reminding me of your Corey Coleman pick all over again. We'll get into that later. (laughs) (laughs) I I love Denzel Mims' athletic profile, but I'm concerned about him being a non early declarer and not coming out till his senior year. That has proven time and time again when it comes to wide receiver prospects to be a concern. And watching him, I saw a lot of contested catches, which can lead to a lack of separation at the catch point that we've seen with other guys, especially coming out of the Big 12, like a guy getting a lot of hype last year, Hakeem Butler, Mm -hmm. um, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, you know, guys like that where they're big guys, great catch artists, as you said, but not a lot of separation. So, you know, with teams that don't have great quarterbacks like the Jets, Sam Darnold, the jury's still out, but anticipatory throwers will find guys like this, but maybe not guys that can get open like Jerry Judy. Um, So, you know, Denzel Mims, love him, but still not the right pick here. Cam, you got to step your game up (laughs) because you didn't even take the best remaining Big 12 wide receiver, and that guy at 109 is Jalen Rager. Wide receiver out of TCU, who is the 21st pick of the draft by the Philadelphia Eagles. This guy is exciting to watch. He is the closest thing I've seen coming out of college to Tyreek Hill. I'm not saying he's going to be Tyreek Hill, especially because he does not have Patrick Mahomes, but he ran a 4-4-7-40 and had a 99th percentile burst score from his testing at the Combine. Not to mention an 18-year-old breakout, which, which is was wild. the youngest in the class. That's That wild. is insane. That's a crazy number. Insane. So coming out, 21-year-old, going to a team that has a complete lack of any wide receiver talent. I mean, Philly had a former college quarterback, Greg Ward, as their number one receiver late last year. So this guy, Jalen Reger, is going to step right in probably to the starting lineup, and I think we're going to see a lot of production out of him. There are some – another – receiver in particular that I debated at this point, but I'll take the upside of Jalen Rager at 109. What do you think of Rager? I like me some Jalen Rager. I'm honestly in love with 1 through 12. Like, uh, It's really easy to get the rookie fever. I feel like Jalen Rager, yes, he landed in a really good spot in Philly. He had that ridiculous age breakout at one of the, I would say, one of the worst offenses in in college. He literally got the ball. Yeah, the target shares ninety ninety third percent. Like that's ridiculous. 
he was literally the only player on TCU. I I think you could have pl- probably played quarterback for TCU, and he still would have put up those numbers. No offense, but I I just don't see him. I, I fall more in love with the alpha type wide receivers than I do the gadgety type receivers. Like, don't be upset with me calling him like a, a gadget type receiver. I feel like that that's the feeling I get when watching him is he'll be he'll he'll make a name for himself but I want that alpha. I want that alpha profile and he doesn't have that alpha size. I knew that's where you were going to go with this. <laughs> so I came with some ammo oh, because yeah. my favorite stat for Jalen Reger is that he had 27 career contested catches which was the most of any wide receiver in this year's draft. That was six more than the second place player in your earlier pick, C.D. Lamb. Not to mention 10 more than Denzel Mims. So, you know, you want an alpha, Jalen Reger might just be your guy. Yeah, and it's not that I don't like him. It's just I feel like there's other guys that I would take ahead of him. Just like uh, just like Jerry Judy, like I don't hate Judy, I don't hate Rager. I, I will gladly take Jalen Rager if he's sitting there for me, uh, if all my guys ahead of him are taken, like Denzel Mims. All right, well, is there is there a guy at 110 that you would maybe take over him? Yes, there is. I love me some, like I said, alpha-type, alpha-profile receivers, and I'm shocked you didn't go here. I... I applaud you for not letting the homerism in you take over and you have your guys. But Justin Jefferson is that alpha profile, alpha type guy that I would take at 110. I love Justin Jefferson. I love that he came from that prolific LSU offense. I think lining up across from or opposite of Jamar Chase like either one of those guys, they were both wide receiver. Is it possible to have two wide receiver ones on a team? I feel like they were both equally dominant. And when Jamar Chase comes out, I'll probably fall in love with him next year. But I feel like he he was definitely a key cog at LSU, and LSU put up ridiculous numbers. He's an age nineteen breakout, and he he broke out not even his junior year, he broke out his sophomore year, the year before. And I'm just, I feel like he could easily overtake. I feel like that, that wide receiver two role in Minnesota, obviously it's open. There's no Stefan Diggs there anymore. It's just Adam Thielen. And I feel like even with Adam Thielen there, he could be that guy that takes over and takes the reins. And he's just, he's that guy. And I, I, I just fully expect that from him. And, I mean, and even if Kirk Cousins is throwing his his uh, gender reveals into the dirt, I feel like Justin Jefferson could easily be a wide receiver one. <laughs> Man, you really went there. I'm sorry. So, <laughs> so those of you that know me know that I'm a diehard Vikings fan, but they have also continued to crush my hopes and dreams every year so 
while I will die on that hill, I do consider myself a realistic Vikings fan, so while it was difficult to not take Justin Jefferson at 109, it had to be done. Um, of all the wide receivers in this year's draft, I do think that Justin Jefferson has the easiest path to immediate production of the 2020 wide receiver class, so if that's something that you're needing, I think that he can step right in, and there is absolutely nobody in his way to the chair of second wide receiver in Minnesota, but I just feel like Justin Jefferson was, to use your analogy going back, the Robin to Jamar Chase's Batman, and I believe that the same will continue in Minnesota with Adam Thielen. I mean, Justin Jefferson, best comparable to Reggie Wayne. Which I love. Love that. Which you love. Which you love. But Reggie Wayne, best known for being Marvin Harrison's sidekick in Indianapolis. I just see Justin Jefferson as the guy that benefited most from Joe Burrow and LSU's prolific offense, and he's going to step into a run-first offense in Minnesota. He's not going to see as much volume, so while I love the player, I don't necessarily love the situation or the fact that I don't think he has that elite wide receiver one upside in a guy that will likely be a number two throughout his career. I know you're using the the Adam Thielen thing, but Adam Thielen's almost thirty. He's a he's going to turn thirty during the season. Just that window, I know, and I and I know you said that he has the easiest road to a year one like breakout. Essentially, there's more there than we think. I feel like Adam Thielen is pretty kind of on his way out. He's he's aging. And just it'll be a nice little baton pass from Adam Thielen to Justin Jefferson. I don't know. I'm excited for him. I, I, I love the profile. But who, who do you got coming up next? Well, at 111, I am going to take the number one pick of the NFL draft and go with Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow is hands down the best college quarterback I have ever evaluated and what stands out about Joe Burrow is how he just elevates everybody around him like there is no way without Joe Burrow that Cam is taking Justin Jefferson at 110 and you know his truly elite accuracy and pocket presence remind me of Cam you might you might love this but a young Tom Brady oh Oh, don't do yes. that to me. Oh, I know. I just did. <laughs> but 5,600 yards, 60 touchdowns, and only six interceptions with a 76% completion percentage last season at LSU. He was the driver behind the most prolific offense in college football history. And adding on to it, most people sleep on his, dare I say, sneaky speed he had over 300 yards rushing each of his last two seasons so a lot of people love getting those quarterbacks that add rushing value to the equation and even in a one quarterback league give me joe burrow in the first round especially at 111 oh yeah with that with the Bengals are just going to build around him they've already got Mixon, so i i totally agree i'm a, i'm really excited to watch joe burrow in cincinnati i just think that 
the one year of prolific offense kind of scares me with I think the key cog in that offense was Joe Brady, who might I add is in Carolina now with DJ Moore. But we'll probably talk that talk about that later. I it's hard to come up with negatives for him. I just think the the one year wonder is kind of a big deal. I and Cincinnati taking T. Higgins, who is not high on my list for rookies whatsoever. And that's how they think they're gonna help him out at the wide receiver position. AJ Green's not gonna last forever. I I think Joe Mixon is probably the only thing there that that will keep him going. Um, They need to add more weapons before I'm fully, like, comfortable. But, yeah, that one-year wonder uh, with Joe Brady and and LSU, and he he was dominant, and I love your Tom Brady, the comparable, and it just gets me all uh, hot and bothered with that, but... I don't know. I I have him ranked at 13, and I I mean, depending on your quarterback situation, you you probably do have to go for him. It's definitely dependent on the quarterback situation, but I just think that Joe Burrow's a guy that, you know, you can just plug and play for the next decade in Dynasty, and Mm -hmm. I think, you know, you're going to get that high-end QB1 upside year after year which makes it worth it taking him in this clump of very talented players that, yep. you know, I'm sure you'll be adding to here at 112. Uh, not according to your standards, but for me, I'm excited. I like myself a little bit of running back value, and I'm going to do it, and I'm going to take Keyshawn Vaughn at 112. Oof. He was drafted in the third round, which is still good draft capital. It, that's the end of the third round is about the line where you're there. There's not much there, but I feel like that draft capital means something, especially for a team that is trying to build for a win now uh, scenario with them signing my guy, the goat. But Keyshawn Vaughn had a ninety percent dominator rating. Which is a big deal, even though it's, it's Vanderbilt. They're in the SEC. It's it still means something. Like the the offense at, at Vanderbilt ran through him, and I feel like him being in Tampa in the right situation and the chance at just that bell cow type role with Ronald Jones, who's still there, who some people just can't let go of. But I never once was a fan of of Ronald Jones. I think. Keyshawn Vaughn could step right in and and take over on that offense. And I just want the chance. Later in this first round, give me the chance at that bell cow running back. Well, well, well. How did I know Uh-oh. you were going to go with Keyshawn? <gasps> oh, yawn. Oh, no. Don't. <laughs> when oh. watching his tape... <laughs> I saw oh. a complete lack of lateral mobility. I mean, there's there's a reason why he opted out of the agility drills at the combine. Keyshawn Yawn reminded me <laughs> a lot of Tevin Coleman. Straight line runner, 
good in the receiving game, but a perennial disappointment in fantasy football. I have him all the way down at number 18 in my rankings and would not recommend taking him over all this wide receiver talent unless your dynasty roster is completely devoid of any running back talent. So please, Cam, be my guest. Take Keyshawn Vaughn in the first round. Can I just say, I feel like when watching him, I got the Marlon Mack vibes watching him. And him being prolific, uh, prolific, I don't even know what word I just said before that, in an SEC offense is kind of a big deal. Like, you can't, you can't be upset with that production, even on a bad team. His best comparable is your guy, Dalvin Cook, who we will also talk about later in this episode for many sad reasons. But... I, I I like him a lot, and I just want that chance at a bell cow, especially if you can't reach those five guys, those top five guys. He is next in line, even though that cliff may be a little bit lower and the potential is a little bit lower than those guys. I still want that chance at that bell cow. And I, I feel like if you're a win now team, that's just got to be the, and you need a running back. That's got to be your choice. Cool beans. While we're on the topic of drafts, I cannot stress the importance of learning from your previous successes and failures. Like Cam will be doing in a couple years with Keyshawn yawn, but <laughs> Cam learning from your previous drafts, what, overall differences in philosophy between previous drafts and now would you say that you've learned i would say sticking to your guns is huge like just don't get caught up in the hype don't don't let bad fantasy gamers tell you who is good and who is bad you just got to stick to your research if you're doing the right research you're going to find your guys my my pound the table learning lesson is Always draft your young running backs early in Dynasty rookie drafts and build your team around them and then trade for proven wide receivers. Wide receivers have a much higher bust rate in my experience and you're just not going to find running back talent late. So draft your young running backs early, trade for wide receivers and win championships which you've done plenty of times four times cool flex but okay (laughs) cool flex so cam what pick did you looking back get the most wrong and why so this has to do with my philosophy i got caught up with the hype with Somebody who I will always regret taking, he is going to sit on my bench because I'm just going to ride him out because there's no value there really anymore. And his name is Rashad Penny. And this is where you have to trust your research. I took him over Nick Chubb. I had Nick Chubb rated over Rashad Penny. I let the people, the bad, evil people, I will blame it on someone else, tell me that Rashad Penny was better than Nick Chubb 
and more. He was going to be more prolific in a Seattle offense, which was so tempting. We watched Marshawn Lynch just take over, and he was going to be the succession to Marshawn Lynch. And I just got caught up in that hype. And now I look at Nick Chubb on the other team, crying, hand on the glass, just sad that I don't have him on my team. And, and of course, now with that team, now I need a running back. And guess what? Nick Chubb would have fit my team perfectly. I would be in win-now mode and everything. And there is also one other guy from that draft who I said Dalvin Cook earlier. This makes me just as sad. And and the wound, it still hasn't fully healed, no pun intended, with Darius Geis. I may have traded Dalvin Cook straight up for Darius Geis. And and Cam, who who'd you trade Dalvin Cook to? I don't want to say. I, I, I just just leave me alone. I really don't want to say. It was you. Okay, fine. I got it over with. I got caught up in the Darius guy's hype. Now, granted, he still got value. He's not Rashad Penny. He still could be a really good running back. But trading Dalvin Cook, even though I loved Dalvin Cook the year before, the that knee, his what was it? He tore his ACL or MCL. What one of the CLs in his knee? Probably both. And there you go. And Darius Geis went along and just ironically had the same issues, if not tenfold, that Dalvin Cook had. That I was upset about with Dalvin Cook. It was. Uh, I'll always regret that trade. That is also the same league. I I quite literally could have had Nick Chubb and Dalvin Cook, and I I just let them go. I just they slipped right through my grasp. I had one of them, and I easily could have had the other. And that's what you get. Just stick to your guns. Stick to your research. And I know Austin, you keep a you keep a ever expanding list of rookie ratings and you you rate previous rookies to uh current rookies and i feel like that's a really good way about like going about it to keep yourself from getting caught up in that hype and you don't trade darius guys or trade for darius guys with with dalvin cook well lucky for you i think i have something even worse how could it be worse it's still haunts my dreams i have nightmares at night about this because a few years back i may or may not have taken Corey davis over christian mccaffrey oh no yes the number one the number one current player in all of dynasty football christian mccaffrey i got caught up on the Corey Davis train. And while I still think Corey Davis, you know, he, he could still be something, but it pains me to think that I had them literally tied for third in my rankings that year. But I went with Corey Davis over Christian McCaffrey and that's an, the rest that's is an history. Ouchie. We know how, we know how that worked out. It didn't. So 
Spoiler yeah, alert, can, it didn't work out. You can rest easy. Thank you. I didn't think mine could be top, <laughs> but it, unfortunately for you, but beautifully for me, was topped off by that. So I, I thank you for that. Thank you. <laughs> I'll say thank you again. In other words, draft your running backs. Draft the freaking running backs. Don't draft, draft the freaking running backs. So, so on, a, on a lighter note... Cam, what pick did you get the most right, and what what led you there? I'm I'm excited to be fluffed up and finish this on a on a good note. Yes, it's possible for me to to uh, have good notes. I I do draft okay sometimes. So, for a recent positive, I have Terry McLaurin. I love Terry McLaurin. Terry McLaurin was drafted in the third round by the Washington. I drafted him in the third round of my rookie draft. That shouldn't even be possible. His metrics are outstanding. He didn't quite put up the numbers at Ohio State, but Ohio State is generally a run-first offense. It's easy to draft first-round values. But what separates the good dynasty players from the elite dynasty players is consistently finding the diamond in the rough. I could have drafted Terry in the mid to, I would say mid second round. And so many people passed on him. I traded, I don't even remember. I traded nothing to grab him. And I feel like there's other examples out there. Like Austin, I think you have one. Yeah, I mean, great, a great parallel to that is a few years back, drafting Chris Godwin in the second round, drafting, you know, I wasn't the one to do it, but drafting Kenny Galladay in the third round, I know was a guy that I was high on, didn't get to pick him, but, um, you know, both great examples. Even, even an undrafted George Kittle, like being ready for the like knowing knowing those breakout potential guys before they break out and adding to the adding them to your roster is crucial for for not only winning but even just adding value that doesn't look like it's there like yeah absolutely George Kittle like tight ends don't produce all that much in college they take a little bit to mature and George Kittle is one of those guys that if you did your research you saw the metrics you saw that there was a chance, and when that tight end window opened up for him in San Francisco, the the people that dominate in Dynasty pretty much knew that he was coming. He for wasn't sure. a he wasn't like a, a surprise. Like you, maybe you didn't know he would be the number one tight end, but you you knew there was something there, and you were ready for it. And I feel like that's just what separates the the good from the elite. Definitely, like I know I I picked up. I was one of those people that picked up George Kittle and picked up Austin Eckler and guys like that, that if you do the research, look at the metrics, the analytics, those are guys that separate the good from the elite dynasty players and lead you to championships. So I had an even better pick than Terry McLaurin, in my opinion. And this was also last year. I took A.J. Brown at 1.09, and 
was doing everything that I could to trade up to get him even earlier. I had AJ Brown at number two on my board last year. And that was despite, despite everybody who had the concerns of, Oh, Tennessee doesn't have a quarterback. They're not a prolific offense. You know, Marcus Mariota can't throw the ball. Things change so quickly in the NFL. And we may not have seen Ryan Tannehill coming, but I mean, that just goes to show you that you never know, but draft the talent, not the situation. So AJ Brown for me was my slam dunk pick. It's a good one. That I can look back at and just know that, you know, those are what win you championships. So, but also, Cam, picks like these are why you listen to Dynasty Coast to Coast. We will help you avoid the landmines like Corey Coleman and Corey Davis and crush your opponents by picking the Terry McLaurins and the A.J. Browns of the world. So be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave a rating and review and follow us both on Twitter. That's at Dynasty Ostie and at Dynasty Cam. We'll be releasing podcasts weekly, including the next round of our rookie pot of our rookie mock draft. So stay tuned. Thank you for listening to Dynasty Coast to Coast. Love you all. Stay safe out there and let's keep the positive vibes going. Peace. <laughs>